morning. Welcome to Worship at First United Methodist Church in Martinsville, Virginia. We are delighted that you have joined us for worship this morning and greet you in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I love the beginning of the communion, Great Thanksgiving, when we say, lift our hearts up to God, that's part of the Sursum Corda. And in spite of what is going on in our lives, and sometimes because of it, that is what we're called to do in worship, to lift our hearts. So let us now lift our hearts and worship God. And now let us pray responsively our call to worship. Creator of all, you have called us and chosen us to be your people. By the power of your Holy Spirit, may we bear witness with joy and conviction to the good news of Jesus Christ. Amen.
Let us pray together our opening prayer. Please join me. Holy Spirit of God, who gathers the church into one body, gather us once again in your presence and strengthen the bonds of affection that hold your people together. Bless us with grace to cooperate with one another in love and service, that we may be the signs of your uniting love to our fractured world. Teach us to show compassion for those in need, to face challenges with imagination, and to counter disappointments with prayerful trust. So may your church bring forth your will and your reign. Amen. Good morning. I would like to ask for the attention of the children for our children's time. Uh, this morning we have a, a special story that happens when the Pharisees, who, who are religious leaders, come to ask Jesus a tricky question. What they're trying to do is they're trying to get him to talk in a way so that he gets his, himself into trouble. Um, when I was a kid, that used to happen to me a lot because my parents... They knew all of my tricks. So sometimes when I had done something I wasn't supposed to do and I tried to wiggle out of it, they would ask me questions and I would end up telling them what I had done. Like if my brother went crying to them and said that I pushed him down and my parents came to me and said, what did you do? And I said, nothing. Well, why is Stephen crying? Um, he fell down. It was an accident, and my parents would say something like, well, why did it happen twice? Then I was stuck. Then it was something purposeful and not an accident, and they knew that to start with. They were just trying to get me to cough up the truth. Well, that's kind of what the Pharisees are trying to get Jesus to do, only Jesus hasn't done anything wrong, and Jesus isn't going to tell anyone to do anything wrong. They ask him a tricky question about taxes. They ask him if it is lawful to pay taxes. Is it the right thing to do to pay taxes? Um, if you're a citizen of the kingdom of God, then why would you pay taxes to the Roman government? So if they get him to say that, then he's going to be in trouble with the Roman government. And if he says the other thing wrong, you know, that, yeah, go ahead and pay taxes, then he's going to kind of be saying that what he was talking about with the kingdom of God was just, you know, not real. So they're trying to trick him. They're trying to trap him. And so what Jesus does is he asks them to give him a coin. And they give him a coin, and he can see what it says on it, and he can see the picture of Emperor Caesar Tiberius on it. And he says, whose face is on this coin? And they say, well, em the emperors, and he says, well, then give the coin to the emperor. The emperor this, his face is on it, give it to him. But give to God what bears the image of God. Well, what does bear the image of God? We do. You do. I do. We all do. That means that we are sharing God whenever we live the way that God has taught us to live when we forgive people who need to be forgiven, when we love people even when they're unlovable, 
when we serve people who are hungry or in need in some way, when we live the way that Jesus taught us to live, being friends to the earth, to each other, and to God. So that's really good news. That's something we can look forward to every morning when we wake up. How am I going to live for God? How is Jesus going to shine through me? How is the image of God going to come across to others? Well, through my kindness and through my loving them. So remember that those are things you can think about each day and live into each day. Be the good news. Love the good news. Learn the good news. But most importantly, live the good news. Thanks for paying attention this morning. Blessings to you. As we prepare to hear our scripture lessons for this morning, let us unite our hearts and minds in prayer. Almighty God, whose eternal rule is ever present but always beyond us, claim our lives. Give us grace to live as your children in this world, ears to hear your word, and faith and strength to live with boldness into your call for us. Amen. Our New Testament lesson this morning is found in the first chapter of 1 Thessalonians, beginning with the first verse. Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace. We always give thanks to God for all of you and mention you in our prayers, constantly remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness, of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers and sisters, beloved by God, that he has chosen you because our message of the gospel came to you not in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction, just as you know what kind of persons we proved to be among you for your sake. And you became imitators of us and of the Lord, for in spite of persecution, you received the word with joy, inspired by the Holy Spirit. So you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and in Archaia. For the word of the Lord has sounded forth from you, not only in Macedonia and Archaia, but in every place your faith in God has become known, so that we have no need to speak about it. For the people of those regions report about us what kind of welcome we had among you and how you turned to God from idols to serve a living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus who rescues us from the wrath that is coming. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. Our gospel lesson is found in the 22nd chapter of Matthew, beginning with the 15th verse. Then the Pharisees went and plotted to entrap him in what he said. So they sent their disciples to him along with the Herodians, saying, Teacher, we know that you are sincere, and teach the way of God in accordance with truth, 
and show deference to no one, for you do not regard people with partiality. Tell us then what you think. Is it lawful to pay taxes to the emperor or not? But Jesus, aware of their malice, said, Why are you putting me to the test, you hypocrites? Show me the coin used for the tax. And they brought him a denarius. Then he said to them, Whose head is this and whose title? They answered, The emperor's. Then he said to them, Give therefore to the emperor things that are the emperor's, and to God the things that are God's. When they heard this, they were amazed, and they left him and went away. This is the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Thanks be to God. Amen. There's an old proverb that says, two things are certain, death and taxes. And here they both are today, right in the middle of our gospel lesson. You start to wonder if even Jesus can turn the bad news that we call taxes into good news. When this story takes place, the Pharisees have already decided to kill Jesus. And they're simply today trying to entangle him in his own talk. And they think that the tax angle is probably the smartest way in. Because if Jesus says that it is right to render under Caesar, he would be renouncing his messiahship. No Jewish messiah would ever condone paying taxes to Rome. But if he speaks against paying Roman taxes, he'll be arrested on the spot as a revolutionary out to overthrow the political regime. So the question that the Pharisees pose to Jesus really puts him in a classic double bind. Now taxes, or taxation in general, when you think about it, is more than simply an inevitability that we wish would go away. In one way, it is a powerful symbol of the intersection between my individual interests and the communal interests of the society at large. The point at which the personal and the political agenda come together and intertwine. It's not surprising then that taxation has always been a provocative, volatile, and vexing issue, inciting people to riot and revolution and making or breaking candidates for public office. Well, taxes are also an undercurrent in all the biblical descriptions of first century Palestine. Indeed, the question of taxation seems to have pervaded all of Jesus' life, and it will dog his footsteps all the way to the cross. You remember it was a census for taxation purposes that had called Mary and Joseph to go to Bethlehem. And it was the accusation that Jesus had told people not to pay their poll taxes that will be presented at his trial as evidence that he deserves to be executed. So at his beginning and at his life's end, obligations to the proper civil authorities, to political entities and realities, demand attention and impose constraints on Jesus' life and work. And here in this passage of the Gospel, we find the question of taxes raised more pointedly raised as a part of the song of death and sacrifice the world was singing 
to Jesus in his final week on earth. Death and taxes. The certainty of both meets Jesus face to face today in Jerusalem. And we almost could have predicted this. The Jesus we encounter here has become increasingly dangerous in the eyes of religious and political leaders, stirring up the crowds everywhere he goes. Only a few days earlier, the road to the city had been lined with people shouting Hosanna and calling Jesus King as he passed by and spreading palm branches and clothing along his path. And now here he is preaching and talking about a new regime, the kingdom of God, in which the lowest will rule and the powerful would be brought down. Clearly, people in religious and political realms worried. They worried that he was encouraging anarchy and possibly outright revolution. The stakes have become high indeed. Jesus in today's gospel is asked what at first seems to be a simple question. Is it lawful to pay taxes to the empire? But the question actually involves some complexities and nuances that still hound us today. And in the complexity of issues surrounding the lawful payment of the imperial tax, the trap is set. Whose law takes priority in the life of the faithful person? Can one be a faithful Jew and a loyal subject to the government at the same time? Is it the religious law of the Torah or the civil law of the emperor Tiberius that should be obeyed? So what does Jesus do? I could easily have understood if he had just quickly excused himself and dodged the issue entirely. Or in the image and likeness of our current political aspirants, if he stepped into the temple microphone and outlined a formula, perhaps a new flat tax or 15% reduction across the board or a 50% reduction in the capital gains tax complete with charts and graphs, maybe that would have provided a compromise acceptable to the Pharisees and to Caesar, some sort of safe middle ground. Or I guess he could have taken the Thomas Jefferson separation of synagogue and state route and uh, allowed people to seek after democracy that way, but that's not what he does. Jesus asks that they bring him a coin. Jesus said, give me a coin. And on that coin, it read, Tiberius Caesar, majestic son of the majestic God. The face of the emperor is pressed into the metal. They were idolatrous and painful words to a conquered people. But Jesus doesn't seem to care about that. If the coin is Caesar's, if Caesar's image is on it, then give it to him then. But give to God that which bears the image of God. Now, there is one question no one bothered to ask. If Caesar's image is on the coin, where do we find God's image? And that seems to call us back to the foundation of this radical kingdom that Jesus has been preaching about all along. And it is the kingdom that we claim to be aspiring citizens of. And in that kingdom, we claim God's image is imprinted on all of creation, on each human being and on each human work. In that kingdom, even Caesar and Caesar's coin are seen in truth to bear God's image and will be most appropriately used for the work of God in the world, rendered unto God by that 
which is right. So in the lesson for today, after Jesus finishes, the Pharisees are amazed and they just walk away. The text says they left him alone. And we might wonder what it is that the Pharisees left Jesus pondering. Because it may be that the question that we have all faced or have dodged or are facing and dodging or will face and dodge again is this one. What is God's? What do we really believe belongs to God? Jesus, in these tricky words, actually puts us to the test. He forces us to decide, and he will not answer for us. In his graciousness, Jesus gives us that terrible freedom. It's very clear what Caesar wants. Sometimes it's all too clear what the government demands in its taxation. We might groan and complain a little or a lot when tax time comes, but there's very little confusion about what Caesar is going to want in that envelope or that sent sent box in our email by midnight on April 15th. And believe me, what Caesar wants is not your soul. So what is it that we are to give to God? Most of us, maybe most of the time, wish it were as simple and as clear-cut as writing a check to the IRS, but my friends, it is not. Deep down, what we have to give to God is not so much our correct religious beliefs or even our good behavior, or even our selfless service to others, as good and noble as those things are. Deep down, what we have to give to God is ourselves. And that means letting go of everything we tend to claim is ours. Our money, our family, our jobs, our reputation, our church. They're not, they're God's. Letting go and giving up control turning our lives over to whom they belong, that's not an easy thing to do. It demands that we ask that question. What does belong to God? Because all those things belong to God. We have always been gods, marked with God's image, and someday in death, just as sure as taxes, we will be totally gods again. But in the awful freedom at the intersection of our personal desires with the communal interests of our political lives, we still have to choose daily to give ourselves over to God's will and to choose to work and pray for the spread of God's kingdom in God's world. Thanks be to God. Amen.
Let us now affirm our faith with the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. The third day he rose from the dead, he ascended into heaven, and sitteth at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come again to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Let us pray as our Lord has taught us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Amen. Mm -hmm. 